This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Matthew 9:36. Matthew 9:36. Watch for these words. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, were as scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his field, into his harvest. See, he looked on this great multitude of the lost, and then it says he was moved with compassion. That means he felt their anguish over being lost without a shepherd, and then he thought, He thought, what's needed? Prayer is needed. And then he acted by encouraging others to pray. There was another time when the Lord Jesus, again, saw a big multitude in Matthew 14, 14. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. This is a different need, totally different now. See, he looks, what does he see? He sees the sick. And when it says he was moved with compassion, what does that mean? He feels, he felt their anguish over their illnesses. And then he thought, what did they need? They needed healing, and then he acted. He healed them. And then there was another time, another multitude, with yet a different need, described in Matthew 15, 32. Matthew 15, 32. Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples said unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have you? They said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fishes, gave thanks, break them, gave to his disciples, the disciples to the multitude. This time he looked, he saw a multitude were in need of food. And when he said, I have compassion on them, 
means he felt their anguish. He felt their, their anxiety over being hungry, over the possibility of fainting in the way as they go back home. And he thought, he thought how, oh yeah, a few loaves, a few, a few fishes, they can be multiplied. And he acted by giving thanks, praying, and distributing. See, those were descriptions of the Lord showing look, feel, think, act, kindness. See, that's the kindness. This is the kindness. Is look, feel, think, act, kindness to the multitudes. But he also showed the same pattern of look, feel, think, act, kindness to individuals like the mother of the dead son, who it says in Luke 7.12, Luke 7.12, now when he was come nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Boy, this makes you want to cry when you read this. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the buyer, he touched the coffin, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. What happened? He looked. He sees a mother with a dead son. Not just a mother, a widow mother with a dead son. And it says he has compassion on her. It means he felt her pain. And he thought, how could, what can I do? He thought, I know I can touch the coffin. I can command the dead. And he raises the boy to life. He acts. See, there was a certain lawyer, a certain lawyer in Luke 10, 25. Luke 10, 25. He asked the Lord, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And the Lord says, okay, I'll give you the answer to the question. And so the Lord Jesus describes in detail the same pattern of look, feel, think, act, kindness in an account, not a parable, but an account, a historical account of a good Samaritan. When he says in Luke 10.33, but a certain Samaritan, Luke 10.33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, look, feel, on him, and went to him and, now listen to this, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come back, when I come again, I will repay. What did he do? The good Samaritan looked, and he sees a wounded man. And then it says, he had compassion on him. That means he felt his pain. And then look how much he thought, how much he was thinking of what this man needed. First, he binds up the wounds, then he pours in the oil. What is he doing here? He's promoting the healing process. Then he pours in wine. Why is he pouring in wine? To prevent infection. I know very well. And then he sat on his donkey and brought him to the inn and arranged for the man to be cared of after he left by the innkeeper, paid the innkeeper in advance, and even thought of unforeseen expenses. And he says, I'll take care of that when I come back. That's acting. Then there was again, not the parable, but again the historical account of a father with a prodigal son. And the Lord Jesus, he told of, again, the same pattern. Look, feel, think, act, kindness. See, Luke 15, 20, Luke 15, 20, speaking about the father. Then he arose, and speaking of the prodigal son, then he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, 
watch the four words again, his father saw him, look, had compassion, felt, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father looked for his lost son. When it says he had compassion on the prodigal son, it means he felt the pain of his lost son. And then he thought, the father thought, what does my lost son need? He needs to see his father run. His father is going to run. He needs to see, he needs to feel his father fall on his neck and kiss him. He's going to feel that. And he needs to later get dressed in the best robe and kill the fatted calf and have a feast. All of that is involved in thinking and acting. See, all these examples of look, feel, think, act, kindness that Boaz showed for Ruth, all those are examples to show us our need to show the same look, feel, think, act, kindness to others. It's important. It's important to see how God shows this look, feel, think, act, kindness for human need. And since we're made in the image of God, we're acting like God when we show the same look, feel, think, act, kindness for those in need. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to show kindness by looking, by feeling, by thinking, by acting. We're commanded to care for others in their tragedies by showing this kind of kindness, which of look, feel, act. And that's what it means to care for them. See, the Spirit of God is saying to us, care for those who are facing tragedies of life. That's what James meant when he said in James 1.27, pure religion, James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. See, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction means to go and look, means to feel their affliction and to think of how to relieve their affliction, and then act on how to relieve their affliction. See, there's two needs, basically two categories of needs, that we're called to show this look, feel, think, act, kindness. And those two needs are, we could call them social needs and spiritual needs. But the spiritual needs have the priority over the social needs. Social needs are important. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, showing this kindness for social needs is important, as he said, in Matthew 25, 34, Matthew 25, 34, then shall the king say unto them his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was a hungred, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me, sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee? Hungered, fed thee, thirsty, gave thee drink. When saw we thee? Stranger, took thee in, naked, clothed thee. When saw we thee sick, prison, came unto thee? King shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. See, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's our mission. The focus of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our focus. The concern of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our concern. His work, it's our work. But spiritual needs have a higher priority over social needs, which does not mean that social needs are to be ignored. It's just spiritual needs have a higher priority. As the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of when he talked about his mission, when he came to that synagogue in Luke 4.16, in Luke 4.16, it says he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, 
on the Sabbath day, stood up for to read. It was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And but when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it to the minister, and sat down. All the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I don't think you can find a country with more social needs than Ethiopia. Maybe Somalia, Sudan, I don't know. But they're all in the same place. Where millions now, even today, they're dying, they're starving to death, and they're dying from the drought. So the last seven years, we've had this mission compound in Ethiopia, ministering to the Ethiopians, 12 acres. We grow food, but our first priority is spiritual, not social, because that was the first priority of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ had. Not the physical needs, they're ignored. They're not ignored, but the priority is spiritual as he spoke of the spiritual needs when he was saying in Luke 4.18 that the Spirit of the Lord was on him because he anointed him to preach the gospel of the poor, sent him to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance, recovering of sight, and so forth, preach the acceptable year of... See, Dr. Charles Habib Malik. Has anybody ever heard of Dr. Charles Habib Malik? Nobody is there? Okay. He was important. He was from Lebanon. In 1958, he was elected president of the General Assembly of the United Nations. He had already served as president of the UN Security Council and of the UN Human Rights Commission. And he was from Lebanon, from Beirut. He was an avowed Christian. He distinguished between social needs and spiritual needs. And this is what he said, quote, The socializing of the gospel is a tremendous danger today. This does not mean that there are not objective social truths and problems which need to be dealt with. But it is very easy for modern man to crucify Christ again on the cross of social betterment and regeneration of society. And then he set out this order of priorities. Quote, first, Jesus Christ himself. Second, confrontation of human souls with Christ resulting in acute sense of personal sin, unworthiness, then repentance, then faith. Third, improvement of amelioration, improvement of society, introduction of justice and economic development. And he concludes with these words, I can lose myself in social service and I'll do lots of good, but if I thereby lose Jesus Christ, my social activity will do me no good, even in the last judgment. And that's quoted in Christianity Today, 1968. So, to care and show this look, feel, think, act kindness that means to bring redemption, as God said in Luke 1.68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And then in Luke 1.78, Luke 1.78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. King Solomon, he gave us a very important way, very important application of this uh, look, feel, think, act kindness. And it's found, and if you like, turn to this one. This is important, Proverbs 24, 11. Proverbs 24, 11. This is King Solomon. 
And he gives these words in, in Proverbs 24.11, and it's a warning in Proverbs 24.11. It's a, it's a warning, and it's a sober warning. It's a serious warning, and it's something we can do in our lives. And he says here these words, Proverbs 24.11, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? What's this saying? What is Proverbs 24, 11 through 12? What are these things saying? It's saying we must rescue those that are being led away to death. And if we say something like, we didn't know, we knew not, we, knew, we know nothing about it, we don't know anything about it, God, who has saved us from death, he'll repay us if we don't try to stop the condemned from dying. See, it's telling us this. This is Proverbs 24, 11. It's telling us we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to look, feel, think, act, kindness to the lost. And it says there, he that keepeth thy soul doth not he know it. It means God is seeing if we are on the lookout for the lost and hurting souls. God sees if we look. When it says in Proverbs 24, 12, he that keepeth thy soul doth not even know it, it means God sees if we feel, if we are feeling the hurt of the lost. God sees if we feel. When it says that in Proverbs 24, 12, it means that God sees if we are thinking of how to bring the saving message of the gospel to the lost. God sees if we think of how to help the lost get saved. When it says that, he that keepeth thy soul doth not even know it, it means God sees if we are going forward with what we have thought of on how to help the lost to get saved. God sees if we're holding back or we're going forward. He sees if we act on what we have thought of. And when the verse says this, shall not he render to every man according to his works, it means God will repay each person according to what he has done to get the lost saved. And then when it says in verse 12, we knew it not, it means that we are responsible to look at the desperate condition of the lost. It means that we cannot plead ignorance. It means that God will repay if we fail to look. It means that we cannot say we didn't know. When it says with such passionate language, drawn unto death in verse 11, it means we're responsible to feel the anguish and the pain of despair in the lost. We're responsible to feel. It means that we cannot be insensitive. We cannot be unmoved. We cannot be unconcerned about the lost. It means God will repay if we fail to feel. And when it says in Proverbs 24, 11, it, to deliver them, it means we are responsible to think of how to deliver them. We are responsible to think. It means we cannot be indifferent. It means God will repay if we fail to think. When it says, if thou forbear, in Proverbs 24, 11, if thou forbear, it means we are responsible to act for the deliverance of the lost. We're responsible to act. It means we cannot be lazy. It means God will repay if we fail to act. See, Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, means we will have to answer for the lost we have avoided in our witness and in our prayer. This verse is here in Proverbs 24. It means that 
we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's Never commit the sin of Cain, who had to cry out with blood on his hands in Genesis 4.9. Am I my brother's keeper? No, you're your brother's murderer. We are to be our brother's keeper. To not bring the redeeming message of the gospel to the lost is to hate the lost. John Hagee claims to love the Jewish people, but when John Hagee says Jewish people are automatically saved and don't need to be saved, that's hatred to the Jewish people. That's the Cain attitude of not being his brother's keeper. My Hasidic rabbi friends always tell me, because they look at me and they try to bring me back into the Jewish fold, they always tell me, it's okay for Gentiles to believe in Jesus, but you should not because you're Jewish. What are they saying? What are they really saying by that? I'll tell you what they're saying. They're saying this, we definitely know that Jesus is not the Messiah. And they're saying there's no question Jesus is not God. It's definite that Jesus is not the way to heaven. He's a deceiver. And that's why they tell me that I as a Jew cannot follow Jesus. But it's okay for the Gentiles to. It's okay for the Gentiles to follow Jesus. When they're saying those things, they're saying, it's okay for the Gentiles to be deceived into thinking he's the Messiah, to believe that he is God, to believe that he's the way to heaven, even though my rabbi friends tell me that without any doubt that he's not the Messiah, not God, not the way to heaven. And they say, but it's okay for the Gentiles to be deceived and commit idolatry and to be cast into hell. Let them, but not the Jews. Don't let the Jews be deceived, commit idolatry, be cast into hell. It's okay for the Gentiles to be cast into hell, but not for Jew. For them to not try and rescue the Gentiles from what they believe is deception that will cause the Gentile to be cast into hell is hatred of the Gentiles. And it's just as much a hatred as John Hagee's hatred of the Jewish people by not trying to rescue the Jewish people from dying without the Lord Jesus and being cast into hell. Preaching the gospel to the lost by looking at the lost, by feeling the lost condition of the lost, and thinking how to bring the gospel to the lost, and then bringing the gospel to the lost, that's love. That's kindness. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And God will hold us all responsible if we don't, each one of us, preach the gospel to the lost by looking at the lost, by feeling the lost condition of the lost, by thinking of how to bring the gospel to the lost, and then acting to bring the gospel to the lost. We will be held accountable to show this look, feel, think, act kindness of bringing the gospel to the lost. That's what I do all the time. I am trying to think, how can I bring the gospel to the lost Jewish people? Right now, we're looking for a place for some of our missionaries to live right in the middle of the Orthodox Jewish community up in Los Angeles. We're thinking, I don't know, but God is helping us, and he's saying no, sometimes yes, but anyway. But you got to do something. This is what these verses are talking about in Proverbs 24.11. There was a practice in Solomon's day. There was a practice, and it was like, and this was the practice, and this is what he's referring to in Proverbs 24.11. When a man was being led to his execution, he was being led to the gallows, what happened was that there was a herald that went out with the procession, with the man, and he loudly shouted, publicly proclaimed, this man is condemned to death, and if anyone has any evidence to prove the innocence of this condemned prisoner, he needs to declare it now at once, because that evidence can prevent this death penalty. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.